one poster in the right place could be seen by thousands of people right. and could really help maybe make a, a change in, in people's perception of, in this case, uh, you know, importance of natural spaces, of the animals, of our relationship to uh-huh. nature, of, uh, you know, huge issues facing us, uh, climate change, global warming, water, air, just, you know, the planet. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. I am super excited for this week's guest, Monty Dolak. When you think of Western art or art in Montana or art representative of Missoula, the name Monty Dolak is surely top of mind. Monty's work is currently on exhibition at the Montana Museum of Art and Culture. The work is spectacular, and you should absolutely check it out. In this conversation, we learn all about Monty's development as an artist and how he approaches the various media in which he works. It's a story of grit, hustle, and experimentation, and I'm excited for you to hear it right now. Okay, so we're here today with Monty Dolak. Monty, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So, you know, when I moved to Missoula... I don't know, eight years ago, a stroll down Front Street, the Monty Dolak Gallery. You were sort of the most prominent artist in the community, and in a community in which art is a prominent part. So it's great to meet you, and I'm excited to learn more about your work. Well, thank you. Yeah, when I had the gallery on Front Street um, through a First Friday event, uh, every First Friday for 22 years. Wow. And uh, I stepped away from that about four years ago to just concentrate on art making. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business aspect of running a gallery uh, has its, uh, you know, I, I won't say energy drain, but it, it, it can take away from uh, the, the creative side. Sure. And yet it introduces your work and uh, provides an amazing connection to uh, meeting people and uh, understanding the community and uh, watching uh, things evolve and change. Because even in the last four years since I closed that gallery, Missoula has been undergoing a renaissance. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were times, uh, you know, I actually had a studio across the street above the Top Hat. Okay. Which has, you know, undergone a renaissance too. But uh, so I was on Front Street in downtown Missoula for uh, many years. Yeah, you've I, seen a lot. I was up there for about 14 years. And and this is Missoula. There, there were times where we were just hanging on uh, with our fingernails. Right, you know? right. There was kind of a skeleton crew just, you know, very intrigued and interested and really cared about helping create a, a community that uh, focused more on the arts and music. And uh, we threw events. Uh, you know, and we're involved in a, a number of things starting in about 1974. Yeah, when did First Friday start up as a thing in town? That was in the mid-80s. Okay. Yeah. And you must have been at the center of, of the start of that, I would imagine. Well, you know, Jeff Sutton uh, had a gallery um, called the Sutton West Gallery. Prior to that, it was the Clark Fork Gallery. Okay. And uh, that was, he started the uh, First Friday and of course, they had First Thursday in Seattle, and here and there, communities were uh, 
working on a, a time that yeah some regular could, meeting time yeah could yeah. could go and experience the arts and uh, you know visit the cafes and uh, and it it does catch on it's like oh yeah the, out to lunch you know it's Wednesday let's mm-hmm. go or it's first Friday do you want to go right it becomes and, a thing that you just do yeah oh. and uh, when I had my studio above the top hat I didn't have an official gallery it was a studio kind of more of a salon. Uh, studio. Mm-hmm. And people would come up, but I wasn't an official First Friday person. In fact, I would go out to First Friday. Sure. Once I opened the gallery in 1993, uh, which was directly across the street from uh, my studio above the Top Hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, the Top Hat was, you know, a, a great music and dive bar and, uh, you know, uh, it was uh, a time when everyone smoked, and the smoke would, over the course of an oh, evening, oh gosh, yeah, just would permeate drift, your studio, drift upstairs, and yeah. I'd come in, and I w- I'm not, it wasn't a tobacco smoker, mm-hmm. so I'd come in, and uh, for the first, you know, n- a number of years, it didn't really bother me. I mean, people would would walk in to a building and light up a smoke. Yeah. They wouldn't even ask, yeah. "Do you mind if I smoke?" Right. They'd just do it, and. Uh, by the time I was uh, uh, maybe ready to make a change, the the cigarette smoke had actually been the thing that had driven me. Sure. Because space was great. Yeah. I, it was the uh, original uh, 1930s Art Deco mm-hmm. radio station and uh, had uh, was very modern uh, when it was created, had portholes, and uh, it had been a studio. Like, uh-huh. The one we're in now, only more extensive. And uh, a number of uh, well-known uh, journalists and radio personalities got their start there. You know, connection of the uh, university uh, uh, journalism uh, department. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, there's, there's always been something about Missoula that's kind of brought creative people here. Uh, photographers, musicians, musicians. Uh, m- I think at at that time mostly writers, yeah. And uh, the creative writing department uh, brought people, and they brought their friends, mm-hmm. and uh, their friends came and visited their friends, and you know, it. it I think a community it puts out signals uh, about what it is, sure, and it either re- it repels certain kinds of people or attracts them, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Missoula has continued to attract. I think. Uh, Creative uh, people uh, are very interested in the outdoors and nature, and uh, you have four seasons, so you have to be prepared for that. But uh, that's that's part of what kept me here is the proximity to natural spaces that are close. And you grew up in Great Falls, right? I did. I was born and grew up there. Yeah, yeah and came. It was your touch point to to Missoula. Your time here at the University of Montana. Is that your first kind of immersion? It it was, although I was in a garage band in high school. Okay. Called Out of Sight. Yeah. And uh, all through high school. Um, what kind of music we, were you guys playing? Rock and roll. Yeah. You know, inspired by the Rolling Stones nice. and, uh, you know, uh, everything that was happening in the 66 to 68. Mm. And, uh, and we would write some of our own tunes, too. But on the weekends, we would... 
travel around the state okay. playing uh, for d- dances. Uh, you know, uh, uh, occasionally we'd get a homecoming or uh, an after-game dance, but we played Missoula three or four times. Yeah. And, and uh, what were you playing? I play uh, keyboards. Keyboards, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, which I continue to do, and uh, our band continues to get together once oh, a year. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're, we're old guys now, but uh, we still rock. I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Well, I think the important thing for me, connecting art and business, was when we played in the band, we had to book a gig. Okay. Which means you had to call someone that uh, headed up uh, an event center, um, get the gig. Mm-hmm. And then get contract, people there, right? Right, and sign a contract. Yep. And then uh, usually the promotion was on us. Yeah. So we would uh, uh, silkscreen posters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in our basement, and uh, we were inspired by the posters that were coming out of San Francisco at that time. Yep. And our art teacher had uh, gone to San Francisco 1966 or 67 wow. and brought back posters uh, yeah. f- for the Fillmore uh, Auditorium and sure. Avalon and uh, the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane and uh, uh, all the bands that were coming out of San Francisco at that time. Was uh, that, see, like, what do the parents in Great Falls think of that? Bring, you know, the teacher bringing back all the stuff from not only the big city, but San Francisco in particular. Yeah, I think... Uh, they didn't even have a clue that was all going on. <laughs> so we became kind of disciples of that. It was yeah, like, whoa, yeah. this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it, that it had a great effect on us. At that time, you really couldn't um, go online and see oh, what was yeah. happening. That the was your infor- connection. Information was at the library or maybe in periodicals or, you know, just talking to someone who had been there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at the same time, he also uh, uh, introduced us to uh, – we, we were just going through a transition of abs- abstract expressionism into pop art. Okay. So that pop would be like Andy Warhol. Sure. Uh, Robert Rauschenberg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and that – so we came online, and so I kind of rejected Charlie Russell. It's like, eh. You know, we live in a different time now. Sure, so, old, tired style, not, yeah, not me. Yeah, so you're, you're trying to find a, a voice in this uh, changing space. Um, George Gogas, uh, if you know his work, found it by um, – he was, he was a high school art teacher, very good one. And he loved the West and has horses and is very much a, a Western person. But he's a modern artist. Okay. So when he retired – he struggled with that same issue. How do you reconcile these two different things without just simply follow, following uh, Charlie Russell? So he uh, put together a series of paintings called If, if Pablo Picasso and Charlie Russell Met, what, what, what would it look like? <laughs> sure. So his Western paintings became Cubist and uh, Charlie and Pablo meeting up and doing various things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I... You know, was trying to reconcile those same those same uh, um, interests and inputs, and kind of synthesize them into a coherent vision. Yeah, and at what point are you thinking, like, I want this to be my life's work? Like, I want to make art and have that be my profession. Well, well I remember I was at, my father worked at the uh, copper refinery. It's called the Anaconda Copper Company in Great Falls, which was the biggest industry mm-hmm. there, and uh, so. Uh, 
I worked there summers going to college. Okay. And I would tell the guys, well, I want to be an artist. I'm like 18 or 19. And yeah, they that probably would, wasn't a very common. Oh, they'd laugh. Yeah, yeah. Artiste. Yeah. You know, you uh, better keep your job. Sure. Because, hey, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a dream that, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, impossible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of worked my way um, through becoming an artist by going to school and also getting work-study jobs that had to do... I, th- I thought anything I could get that kept a, a pencil or a paintbrush in my hand. So I did cartoons for the Cayman. Sure. And, uh, Didn't you do charts and stuff for the Bureau of Business and Economic Research, which we share a building with now? Well, probably just covers. You okay. Know, just, uh, yeah, for their, uh, for their publications. Art, art design. And so yeah, it was uh, the publications department. And uh, so that was good practice. Yeah, and, and it's and, hustle too. You're getting your name out there. And also at that time, there was a print shop on campus. Okay. That was really a good one. Yeah. And a number of people worked there. A lot of printing happened there. It's gone now. But uh, a fellow named Don Clute, I remember when I came in and uh, he was the, he headed up the print department. And uh, here I am an art student. But yep. I'm learning fine art. Nothing about how to really integrate graphic art. Sure. Uh, to being printed and somehow, uh, how does all that work? Well, it was a big mystery. Yeah, and so, that, I mean, it's a mystery to me because you work in a bunch of different Well, he media. walked me through it. The first time I came yeah. in, he said, I can't believe you're an art student and you don't know <laughs> about a blue pencil. You could do your, uh, your at that time, uh, your drawing, your uh, base drawing before you inked it. And if you did it in regular pencil, pencil will show. Okay. Blue pencil is invisible to the camera. Mm. So uh, that's where you make your notations and, uh, and many, many things like that. So over the course of time, every time I would go in, uh, they were, they were, it was like a, having a, an art class that was dedicated to... Sure, but like print. outside of the traditional tracks here academically. Yes, applied art. You're getting street you know, smarts, how, basically. How, how do you take your art and apply it? So yeah, interesting. it's so funny. I... I uh, I learned that as just a work study student, where I probably got as much information as I did out of any of my art classes, uh-huh. I, more, because uh, after that I was able to actually get a job, because I understood something about graphics. That seems like, and I don't know if I necessarily want to railroad the conversation down this way, but it seems like a tension that exists in a lot of disciplines, in particular artistic disciplines, whether it's music or fine arts or whatever, yeah. and literature. Is Journalism you, versus yeah, you poetry. Get, and you get so grounded literature. in the way things have been done in the past, yeah. which is important, and, and it's important to understand that history and lineage. But also, it, it in this in this instance, it sort of constrained your ability through the traditional um, sort of academic channels to get exposure to a lot of the newer technology and what was happening. Yeah, and during this whole period, I was painting and doing ceramics and sculpture. So I, one of my work-study jobs was also uh, being the, the sculpture teacher. At that time, it was Ted Waddell being his assistant. Okay. So I had to make sure all the all the sculpture tools, the torches, uh, the, the, all the welding equipment. Uh, so you're doing everything. Was, was, yeah, yeah. And so work-study was it truly was work study. Yeah. And then I'd have a class with Rudy Audio or with Don Bunsey or Maxine Blackmere, um, uh, Walter Hook. Uh-huh. These 
people are all gone now. They've all passed on, but I did have classes with uh, with them, and and uh, Rudy was a mentor of mine. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's one thing to say, well, here's how you make something, and it's another thing just to have a conversation. What's happened to me is I found that two things feed each other, uh, the, the art-making process and then the work that's applied or commissioned. So I would take what I learned on the graphic side, and I could move that over into the fine art. Sure. Thinking. Okay. So, okay. So I'm learning a bit more about technique and uh, how to prepare something uh, to be printed. I had the interest in the posters from high school, mm-hmm. and uh, I started making posters yeah. uh, f- for various groups and organizations, uh, mostly in music and events. I did the first, some of the Kegger posters, the the, the uh, big fundraiser. They used to have a giant Kegger. Yeah, here. yeah. There's a uh, documentary about it. That's oh, interesting. for real? Okay. Yeah, you get ten thousand people. It's a lot of people kegs. listening to uh, you know pretty major bands. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, you know well-known uh, uh, bands and. Uh, you know, uh, the musical artists appeared at those, and those were seen by a lot of people. So every time you put something out there that's seen, it, it kind of attracts, uh, you know. You put a poster out there, people come to you. Okay, uh-huh. well, could you do a poster for our music event or sure. our, our this or that? And uh, at, a, at a certain point, rather than moving to the big city, I decided to stay here. I had opportunities to do work in film and and uh, at that time when you did a record jacket cover it was that that was actually, a big deal yeah it was 12 yeah. 12 by 12 inches yep. too so it was a lot of real estate mm-hmm. before everything went to uh i know there's a huge comeback now uh in vinyl with vinyl and, yeah and, and that's so cool because you get get to have a big cover too right right but uh and i i did a number of those uh uh, uh working in film and working in uh, uh music and uh, I just, I, I couldn't move to the city. I just, it was too urban. I tried a couple of times. San so Francisco, L.A., and, yeah. and, uh, and Missoula was just where you wanted to be. Well, Montana. It, out my back door was a wild, wild space. Yeah. So um, with the advent over the last number of years with, I remember wishing at one point, I had done a, was working on a poster for a film and my client was in New York. In order, we could talk on the phone, but in order for him to see what I was doing, I had to express mail the sketches and studies right, right. to him. And then he'd look at them, and it's like, okay. And then I'd get the artwork. And I had less time to make the work yep. because of the shipping involved. And I thought, geez, wouldn't it be fantastic if someday there was a way to see, we could both see what we were doing, uh, you know? And, Imagine uh, that. Yeah, imagine that. And you could take out this thing it, from your pocket, it, it, snap it, a photo, and send yeah, it. It would make it so easier to yeah. live here. <laughs> and um, so I kind of quit doing things uh, uh, for film and, and uh, records and started concentrating more in my region because I was closer to it. Yep. And that was a time in Missoula uh, in the mid-'70s where a lot of small businesses were taking off hip, really the hip culture, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, – in fact, one of the founding fathers, John P. Anderson, started the Richeshade, just passed away this last week. He'd lived in Bali for the last 20 years. Okay. But he was, there were a, a, a small group of 
young entrepreneurs that started businesses mm. and uh, that were hip. You yeah. know, they're part of the hip culture that is hip it's, it's everywhere now yeah. uh, in Missoula. And, it, uh, and so I did uh, logos and designs and posters for, uh, you know, the, uh, the one was the Crystal Theater. Okay. Which was yep. like the Roxy, only it was where uh, Guild Brewing is now. Mm-hmm. And it showed uh, American foreign repertory uh, films, often came without a poster. So I would do a quick marker pen poster. Sure. Yeah. And uh, free movies and popcorn. Mm-hmm. And uh, that probably doing a hundred of those. Wow. You, you know, it's good of repetitions. Yeah. yeah. Good so, practice. You know, as you're kind of working through this, like, you're out there hustling. You're doing a bunch of different types of art for a bunch of different types of constituents. How are you sort of finding your own style? Do you have a style that's distinctive? It, it, you know, when you when you sort of read about your work or see it, the word whimsical sort of comes around all the time. I don't know how you feel about that term, but your style is distinct. And how does that how does that kind of emerge in this process? Well, you know, I I also became very interested in travel about that same time. Okay. So uh, I think uh, 19 mid mid 70s I went to Europe mm-hmm. with a backpack and stayed in youth hostels and went to the great museums in Paris sure. and London and uh, Amsterdam and uh, all I wound up down in Morocco and that exposed me to so much amazing Opened your world. Art, yeah. art and architecture and just so when I came back I think uh, that added a you know and the visits to New York and San Francisco especially uh, the museums in both Oakland and uh, San Francisco uh, I, I saw a lot of things that uh, were uh, inspirational or helped uh, get me going in the direction. There was a school of funk based out of Davis. Yeah. uh, And a number of uh, artists whose work had humor in it. Mm -hmm. Serious work, but it had humor. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Ryan Tutel of ESPN Radio in Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. Robert Arneson, his his sculptures usually huge uh, portraits of his his head mm-hmm. going through some you know uh, uh, crazy uh, wild uh, uh, I don't know connection to the world, uh-huh. but it was visible. And I decided um, I really like I I'd been trying to fit in as an abstract artist, and I did a number of abstracts that were illusionistic and uh, I'd become technically very, very proficient uh, by then mm-hmm. and uh, doing all of these things. And um, uh, the abstract uh, artists, uh, you know, and then the pop artists and then kind of anything goes now. I mean, on yeah, to yeah. minimalism and uh, performance art. And, uh, but I decided I wanted to work with images from the visible world. Mm-hmm. So I would call it more surreal than whimsical. Okay. Uh, okay. My work. Uh, uh, and the surrealists were a group of artists in Europe. Uh, Man Ray and Rene Magritte are a couple of them. Who uh, Their work had humor, but it also had irony. And uh, humor with, with irony becomes, yeah. can become 
serious humor. Right, right, provocative. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I became, of course, as many people uh, interested in the work of Magritte, where uh, basically he could formalize a painting with uh, objects that were absolutely uh, different than each other. But he put them together and paint them with the same degree of accuracy, and okay. it became believable. You know, like an apple the size of a grand piano sitting next to yeah, each other. Yeah, okay. And it's like, oh, okay. And, you know, his most famous ones are the man in the bowler hat with uh-huh. the umbrella yep. floating in space. And uh, uh, it just, you know, being able to use your imagination. Salvador Dali would be like an extreme example yeah. of that. Yeah, where yeah. His, his stuff goes much further, but he's probably the most famous. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, his work was more dreamlike. And, uh, but yeah. He, and this notion of taking reality and playing with it. Yeah. Taking, um, re- exactly. And, and it makes me think of your Intruder series. You, you invaders. Animals, invaders. Invaders, yeah. Intruders sorry. is good. Yeah. <laughs> in, 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 you know, putting animals, very realistic depictions of animals, but in scenes that when you see them, are, they, they, I don't want to say they make no sense. Yeah. It makes a certain type of sense. I'm, I'm doing one right now. Okay. Of a, some, a, a series of some megafauna paintings. Uh, I'd, I'd mostly had worked with animals uh, in my region, but then I decided uh, not that long ago that uh, you could work with any animal mm-hmm. from any part of the world. So you're really making – it's that uh, dichotomy be- between making art and making art that works for the the community you live in or the language uh, right. base or the part of the country and then making things that maybe speak to a wider audience. Case in point, when I still had the gallery, I had just, maybe the year before, finished a commission for um, a group that was working on habitat for bears, Okay. Inter- International Bear Trust. Mm-hmm. So there was eight different kinds of bears that live in different parts of the world. And uh, I had created uh, this map of the world, that painted a large bear, over it, and then had uh, just a lot of pictorial elements going on. Uh-huh. But it, uh, you didn't need language to look at it uh, and see what it meant. And there were a group of women visiting from, I think it was Pakistan or Iraq, Iran maybe, and uh, through the university. Mm-hmm. And it was about 10 or 12, and they were educators. And n- none of them spoke English. And, uh, and they had uh, the, the headscarves, and uh, they walked around and looked at some of my stuff. And the animals, the Invader series, they were like, what does that mean, beavers and a... Right. Like, I just, but they saw that Bear, Bear Trust Internationals, and they all gathered around. And it clicked. It and they, yeah, they understood yeah. it. And uh, so uh, visual images that can uh, work in other languages. Of course, other cultures are tough. I, right. I, I had the same experience in Japan. I, I went there a number of times and marketed my work there and also uh, other countries. Um, but you've been able to use those, that kind of notion that images can bring uh, an issue to life um, pretty prominently in your work, particularly partnering with environmentally oriented yeah. organizations. You well, that was that, that love of nature that kept me in Montana. Yeah. And uh, I started working with some of those groups. Um, and I didn't think of myself as a wildlife artist mm-hmm. at all, you know. Uh, 
But as soon as I and work, are those groups approaching you to, to commission work, or are yeah, you wanting to be one, more of an activist? Like, how's one, this working? One, one of the early ones was Nature Conservancy approached right. me, and I I did an early piece, like, and it was it was about um, an area on the Front Range called Pine Butte. It's also where they found. Uh, that's also where Egg Mountain is, okay. where uh, Jack Horner discovered the uh, clutch of dinosaur eggs mm-hmm. that uh, you know became very important discovery. Uh, it's also an area where uh, grizzly bears and different uh, other animals have been able to come off the front range and to this this butte, which is also a swamp. It's a really interesting area. And the, the forest leading up to it is a savanna, not okay. a, a, your normal forest. Very interesting. interesting. It's uh, due west of Shoto. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I went up there and did research I was afraid I'd run into a grizzly bear, yeah, and I didn't. But uh, I learned about them, and I worked a little bit with uh, John Craighead, uh, Craigheads, and he gave me some uh, some reference material of bears he'd photographed, and so I created this poster. And uh, uh, Nature Conservancy had purchased the whole area, so it could re- remain uh, uh, pristine. And of course, uh, later David Letterman purchased the right. ranch right next door okay. so he's he's their neighbor um, and uh, I grew up in Great Falls looking at those mountains uh, and uh, you know it was it was so interesting to get into them and start working with uh, <clears throat> kind of putting science and uh, natural history and naturalists together with art sure. and uh, it was like oh I really like this this is uh, you know it feels right because yeah even as a kid I mean I love to go out and poke around the river, the Missouri River, and ponds, and mm-hmm. look at birds, and snakes, and frogs, and turtles, and whatever it, I could yeah. find. Yeah, and and love to fish too. So, grew up uh, fishing on the Missouri. Um, before there was a whole industry built around guiding people. Right, right. It was rare to see a boat in those days. Most people just fished from the bank hmm. or wade fished. Occasionally you'd see a boat, but it was rare. Yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about you got involved with the Nature Conservancy. They commissioned a piece. I did three pieces okay. for them eventually. One was for Egg Mountain, too. Right. I uh, worked with Jack Horner on that one, the paleontologist, who, if you don't know who he is, he is probably one of the most well-known paleontologists in the world, based out of Bozeman. Uh, that's one reason the Museum of the Rockies is there, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. has a focus on, uh, on uh, paleontology. And uh, he was the uh, advisor on all of the Jurassic Park films. Okay. And uh, in, in fact, the, f- the first book, uh, Jurassic Park, before it was made into a movie, was he's the character in it. Oh, for real? Yeah, yeah. And he's a great guy. And it has a real sense of humor, too, but a deep grounding in science. And uh, he's, he's intuitive. Uh-huh. And uh, so meeting people like that... I. I try to integrate some of that in, into my art. Yeah. Because, you know, he'd look at a dinosaur and go, yeah, I got the muscle wrong. You know, it, there's there's skeleton under there and this muscle is sure, sure. Oh, yeah. But we don't know what color they were. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so you need an artist yeah, to so sort of fill free, in those blanks. Free reign on the color. Uh, and uh, uh, I just did one or two uh, dinosaur pieces, but I did a tremendous amount of research. So 
each one of these posters would lead maybe to something else uh, for another wilderness sure. yeah. uh, advocacy group or uh, conservation organization. And, uh, you know, working with the individuals involved and then getting the – and the poster is beautifully produced. Mm-hmm. I've worked with uh, a printer in Great Falls, Advanced Litho Printing, for the last 25 years. And I got – I was able to use those early influences that I got from my work study here yeah. at the university um, and the, some of the fine art uh, to create these things. And I also have a, a, a rapport with the printers because oftentimes the – People bring in something to have it printed, and they're, you know, they don't really understand the process yeah. and what's possible. That's so, got to be critical in your work. That well, it has to what prints I, has to depict what you want it to. I, I think because I, I have a lot of respect for the printers and the pressmen and everything that goes into making something like uh-huh. that. It's it's complex. It's you, you see it all the time something yep. printed, but when you really go in and see what. You know that that industry uh, involves it's it's complex and interesting and uh, so I because I think because of my respect um, we developed mutual respect and I was able to work sure. very closely right on the press you know helping ink the press up mm-hmm. uh, you know so it was like printmaking making these posters but it was more than that I was adding extra touch plates some of them would go through the press twelve or fourteen times or more in order to get the colors right. And uh, they were great at uh, accommodating me. It's like, <laughs> yeah, wow, that sounds interesting. Let's try it. Sure. So, well, they're probably learning too and, yeah, and wanting to support yeah. the work and their range, I would think. So that, you know, was interesting. I probably did 200, I, I don't know how many uh, wow. posters for different organizations yeah, yeah. and groups. And each one was a printmaking process uh-huh. and also involved... The business of, uh, you know, there's it, these things cost a considerable amount of money to right. produce because they're, I'm using the best paper, the best inks, uh, the whatever time and energy, creative time I put into it. And just, you know, blood, sweat, and tears and are, sometimes. And are some of these choices with regard to the form in which your art takes pragmatic? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining so some sort of an organization probably wants to distribute your work in a way. So that means a poster is maybe the most pragmatic, whereas another time you want to create an oil painting, which is sort of a, a single thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that kind of play you, into you your just, choices? You just do both. Okay. It, it kind of all one thing. You know, oh, the, the commission works, you're working with a an individual or group who, who've come to you. Uh, usually in my case, they, they come to me and ask, could I do something? And I would uh, write a pro- proposal. Well, the, Here's what yep. we could do and uh, decide whether it was possibility or not um, and write up a contract so everybody was on the same page, sign the contract, which also uh, it was on me to fulfill my obligation uh-huh. and, uh, and on them too. And uh, what I found is that the posters, we might print 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000, um, one poster in the right place could be seen by thousands of people right. and could really help maybe make a, a change in, in people's perception of, in this case, uh, you know, importance of natural spaces, of the animals, of our relationship to uh-huh. nature, of, uh, you know, the huge issues facing us, uh, you know, uh, uh, climate change, uh, uh, global warming, um, uh, 
you know, uh, water, air, just, you know, the planet. Yeah, I pretty, mean, with, with all these important. organizations coming to you now, I mean, you've built this platform through grit, talent, dedication, all of that. And now organizations are coming to you. How do you make choices about, say, you know, what, what do you want to say yes to? Well, I kind of decided I would step back. I'm, I'm 69 now, and um, I um, went through a, uh, a, a period with my, uh, my late wife, Mary mm-hmm. Beth Percival, uh, who was very ill with Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I became her caregiver. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found it, it was just too difficult to do everything. Yeah. You keep the gallery opening uh, open. You know, at times I would have seven or eight employees. So you're writing That's a, a payroll. You're responsible for that. So, you know, a, a painting might sell and help cover that. And uh, But uh, I decided I uh, – and, and with suggestions by some close friends, uh, you should s- think about stepping away from that. And I was like, thought about it, and uh, I made a decision to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she passed away. And then in uh, uh, the intervening time, I met a wonderful lady, and I got married again. Okay. And we were working together. Her name is Mary. And uh, she's uh, just been, uh, you know, the wonderful uh, you know, it, it kind of brought my, my life sure. uh, back to life yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my painting life. So um, I started painting again and uh, kind of it, it not taking on the commissions. Okay. Ta- taking you on a do, few a do few work things. for you. Taking on a few things. I've, I've recently done some paintings uh, for the new Stockman Bank. Mm-hmm. And they've been wonderful to work with because there was, you know, uh, really, you're the artist. We're the bankers, uh, you know. So I I worked on a series of large scale landscapes that are now up in there up in the new, new buildings here and, and and going to other other areas too. So that's been nice. And I I was and at the same time on my other easels I have uh, my own paintings going. Sure, They're related. Uh, might have a, a little different, uh, like my polar bear on the iceberg, uh, you know, uh, or. Uh, yeah, a few other things like that. Sure. My, my rhino. Although there are some microbes we should be concerned about, too. Uh, yeah, painting those must be a challenge. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so one of the reasons we're talking, Monty, is your work is on display at the Mamac and part of the spring ex- exhibition. I think it opened you know, January 17th and runs until mid-May, if I, if I, if I recall. I, I think into June. Now. Into June. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So is, is some of this work you're talking about going to be in this exhibition? It, what, it, how are you making choices about what, what to put on display it, here? It will be. I'm, I'm working with uh, the uh, curator and uh, director. Uh, Raphael? Jer- Jer- Jeremy and Raphael. Oh, okay. Okay. Just, uh, and uh, they made the choices, and uh, we... I had had hoped. I mean, I have many many posters and prints, lithographs and things, but I wanted uh, as many original uh, works yeah. uh, to be in the exhibit as possible. So we, we've done that, and I think it reflects uh, the connection I've had uh, with uh, environment and and uh, nature. That's more of the focus of, of this exhibit. And uh, there's a, a book that we're also. Uh, it should be out in May. Okay. 
Okay. And that'll be... Uh, You've uh, set a deadline for yourself publicly now. Yeah, so we've worked <laughs> on it quite a bit. And the, the book uh, will be mostly the last 20 years of my work. I had a book come out 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 200 page, really beautiful hardcover uh, art book uh, with a foreword by Onyx Smith, mm-hmm. uh, so wonderful writer and friend. And this book will accompany that. It'll be the same size and shape. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to it f- finally being printed, hopefully in the next few months. Awesome. So it should be out in time to be there for the latter part of the exhibition. Okay. And so, um, you know, kind of, it seems like you're experiencing a bit of a, a, a bit of a re- renaissance as well. You know, your work being on display, creating some new original works, stepping back from the gallery, making yeah. you know a, a new a new relationship. How is that influencing? Is it influencing your inspiration and in how you sort of approach your art? It is. You know, I I just returned from travels in uh, Europe. I I spent time in uh, Amsterdam and in Venice. Uh, attending the Venice Biennale, which is, uh, it happens every two years, Mm -hmm. and it's the oldest and longest-running international art exhibition. Okay. And uh, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can actually see what Poland's doing or what Azerbaijan is doing. I mean, uh, countries that you might not be exposed to. Yeah. Uh, Iran, uh, you know, with our uh, America's certain issues with different countries Mm -hmm. from China to Iran to Korea. Uh, uh, In in Italy at the Biennale, many of those nations are there and you get to see what their artists are thinking uh, or what their leaders are suggesting they think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then if you uh, grow a little weary of, uh, and it's all contemporary, you can take a break in one of the many churches in Venice and look at, uh, you know, incredible frescoes by Tintoretto and Titian and uh, other masters of the Renaissance. So you got the stuff that's happening now and then the stuff that happened centuries ago. And yeah. And the, it's got to be wild. link between the two because personally I've always valued, uh, you know, uh, the use uh, and technique that goes with handling the materials. And I've always been very careful to work with the best materials, like uh, best paint, uh, uh, you know, so these things uh, will last. And and the use of those materials and the techniques I've developed uh, to create something that's that's beautifully made, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I value that. It's like we went to the uh, there's an instrument museum. Many fine violins and cellos and violas were made in uh, Italy. Right. And uh, those are just beautiful things to look at, you know? They, they weren't stamped out. I mean, sure, things that are made to endure. They're made, yeah, by craftspeople. Yeah. So I value uh, craftsmanship, uh, uh, technique, uh, but you don't want those to overpower the importance of a a vision or an idea that you have. So trying to find the right balance uh, between those things. And uh, it's a never-ending process, you know? So <laughs> hoping I'll get there someday. Well, that seems like a great way to kind of bring the conversation to a close. Monty, so inspiring to learn more about your story, 
your approach to your work and uh, really excited about this exhibition. I encourage everybody to go check it out, check out the new book. And uh, where else can people find your, I mean, people can find your work in a ton of places, but where would you, any place you'd like well, to direct them? Dolek.com. Okay, Dolek.com. I, I have a website, and then my posters in Missoula are available at uh, Frame of Mind okay. Gallery and Frame Shop. Well, Monty, all the best, and uh, happy trails. Well, thank you so much. It was, it was fun. All right, I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Get yourself down to the Mamac and check out the exhibition. Okay, coming up next week, we have a Montana native who's tearing up the charts as a songwriter in Nashville, John Pierce. Excited to bring you that conversation and some live music next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsum, and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.